Let's start. Some of us have got work to do. Some of us have a day job. Yes. Like Good morning, everyone. Manager. Thank you very much for getting up so early. And uh, <laughs> day's half through for some of us. <laughs> yes, it, uh, the day is half through for some of us. But uh, some of you who've breakfast. been to the Conservative ball last night, naming no names, Mrs. Moneypenny, are feeling distinctly <laughs> fragile this morning. Get all these. Fun. Um, on behalf of Editorial Intelligence and the Business, I'd like to welcome you this morning to this rather new and unusual format, which is rather than sitting you in front of an illustrious group of people to hear their illustrious words of wisdom. You are the illustrious, and so you are being seated in a round-table fashion to express your views. You represent the fields of business, policy, politics, and the commentators in the media. And uh, all I will say is a couple of obvious housekeeping points. As we've said in our correspondence with you, this event is on the record. It's being podcast. It's being attended by the editor of the business, Alistair Heath. So don't say you weren't warned if you say something fantastically contentious. And um, you might want to turn your mobile phones off. And with that, I'm going to hand over to the person who also needs no introduction, to Andrew Neal. Thanks, Julia. Thank you very much. Welcome, everybody. It's a rather unusual format, but I think it's... I'm sure it may remind some of you being at the AA meetings, but I... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, won't, I won't name any names, David Yarrow, but... Uh, <laughs> you'll be asked to testify any moment uh, now. And it, since this is going out to the World Wide Web, and uh, I say... Good morning, Helsinki. Hello, Washington. Hello, Tokyo. I'm sure the world is joining in on us here. This is the room in which Elgar performed many of his, gave the first performance of many of his works. The man who once owned this house um, was the great benefactor of Elgar. And Elgar would come and perform here uh, before taking his works out into the the wider world and bigger concerts and so on. And we've held some concerts in year two of Elgar's work since it was his 150th anniversary, I think it was, last year. We're hoping for a little bit more discordant note this morning so that we've got a bit of a discussion. We thought we'd have this talk on hedge funds with interested parties because we watched over the past couple of years how private equity came into the political frame. And I remember going to a number of lunches, uh, private equity people th whose main line was if we just keep our head down, it will all go away uh, and the politicians will forget us. Well, of course, that didn't quite happen and we've had everything from the, the row over non-DOMs, which affected private equity, to the change in the CGT ta uh, tax uh, regime as well. And we just wondered whether the hedge funds were going to be the next in the frame, given all the financial turmoil and what they thought about it and where they were going to go. Though I think there is some evidence, actually, in the current financial turmoil that hedge funds have been a rather positive force for dampening down some of the turmoil. But maybe that'll come, come out today. Um, Alistair Heath, the editor of The Business, is here. And Martin van der Weer, the uh, editor of The Business Pages in our other uh, magazine, to which we're proud to publish from here, The Spectator, here too. Assorted people, you will all, if you could give your names. This is a roundtable discussion. There's no panel. But Martin, I wonder if you could, as a journalist and former investment banker, kick off our discussions. Well, thank you very much. Um, so, as a, as a starting theme, our, <coughs> our hedge funds heading for the sort of stick that private equity funds have been taking over the last year or so. Um, and does the hedge fund community need to 
therefore do something about um, the way it's perceived both in the political world and in the media. And some of you here are hedge fund managers. I'm not sure which of you are. Uh, but I kind of know what you're going to say. And I, I think what you're going to say is the trouble is that journalists like me, I mean, comment journalists, particularly the ones who write for the sort of non-technical, non-financial uh, press uh, and refer to hedge funds, know absolutely nothing about hedge funds. We don't have a clue what you really do, uh, who you are, other than that you're the smooth-looking ones without ties and all the best tables and all the best restaurants. In Mayfair, you're some kind of slightly sinister, super wealthy clique, cynically exploiting uh, the misfortunes of companies and their employees, farmers who produce commodities, all that sort of stuff. Um, and if that sounds an extreme version of the whole thing, it's more or less exactly what I've written repeatedly <laughs> myself on the, in, in the Spectator and in the, in the Telegraph. Um, we confuse you with people on trading desks in large investment banks. Um, and even if you started to explain in some detail what the magic of the black box of your investment tricks really is, the fact is we wouldn't understand it. Okay, so let's take as read a certain uh, profound ignorance of uh, serious investment techniques on the part of people who are writing about you. Uh, and let's say also that achieving exceptional returns, as many hedge fund managers do, in very turbulent markets and scientifically being able to measure the risks that you take while doing so, is something that is entirely admirable. And that being activist <coughs> shareholders in many examples, I think you could quote the example, I think it's TCI, the hedge fund which brought ABN AMRO into play. Well, whether in the end that's a good thing or not, uh, we'll see for Royal Bank of Scotland and its partners. But the actual business of of telling ABM they weren't performing properly and um, putting them into play was a positive action of, of the investment scene, if you see what I mean. So there are good things, but on the other hand, the sort of stuff that we, the media, suspect hedge funds have a hand in in recent <coughs> times are quite big and important and frightening swings of markets and, and changes in the, the whole economic scene for all sorts of ordinary people. The, the last $30 of the $100 spike in oil prices is attributed to speculative uh, oil up, you know, investors going in there. Is that hedge funds? The, the doubling of grain prices. Okay, that's probably good for farmers, but not for the farmers who sold forward at half the peak price and so on. But it completely discombobulated um, the agricultural economy. Uh, that was attributed to hedge funds, the short selling of shares like Alliance and Leicester and Bradford and Bingley on the day the Northern Rock crisis was breaking was one of the things that contributed to the sense of panic that's contributed to the whole uh, Northern Rock aftermath and so on. So the fear that's out there is that there is a new world of powerful, very private, secretive investors with such funds at their disposal and such approaches to risk that they're able to move whole markets that affect whole sections of the economy in a way that wasn't really true uh, in previous periods of market turbulence. That makes us look at hedge funds as something sinister and frightening and uh, 
something that deserves you know, the scrutiny of the political world and Mr. McFall's committee and all of these things. So I think that's the case, whether, however extreme, however it may misrepresent you, that is the popularly held view of the hedge fund community and it's the one that has to be addressed. Martin, thank you for that. We'll hear from Alistair in a minute with his observations. But what's the reply to that? Who would like to respond? You're all dumbstruck by the savagery of Martin's case. I'm prepared to put up no defense. There you kiss. Where does one actually start? <laughs> well, why don't you? T- tell us who you are and start. Um, my name's Kevin Gundle. I've been involved with a fund of hedge funds business for about 15 years, um, evaluating hedge funds for that period of time. And our investors give us money as a, an instant route to a diversified portfolio of hedge funds. Now, one of the things that strikes me is the lack of knowledge. It almost, I I read a wonderful uh, statement the other day. It said, outstanding technology is indistinguishable from magic. So if you took one of these Apple iPhones and went back 500 years, you'd be burnt at the stake because you'd possess a device that was significantly advanced. I think that's probably the mystique that hedge funds have got for themselves in that hedge fund managers typically are the most forward-thinking and talented (coughs) professionals participating in the global capital markets. And um, groups or individuals that don't possess the the skills or the resources to exploit that talent feel tremendously threatened by that. And as a consequence, one gets what what we've witnessed in the past, um, accusations of impropriety. Uh, behavior, dishonesty, uh, and what have you. Um, there's been discussion about severe lack of transparency and, and secrecy. I've got in my pad here, I was reading in the taxi, I've got a 19-page newsletter from one of my hedge fund managers, which is so transparent, we've actually had to design systems to actually deal with the huge amounts of information we receive from hedge fund managers. So for those that active, actively participate, there's, one is almost overwhelmed with the information. Is that in uh, the public domain? This is not in the public domain because it's not allowed to be in the public domain. By whom? By the FSA. The FSA stipulate very, very clearly the sorts of information that investors can receive. If we wanted to be transparent with every uh, individual organization uh, that was interested in our products, we would be uh, breaking the law. So it's actually very important to distinguish what one is permitted to do versus what the public has an interest in. Uh, it's, it's almost legal but on the top shelf, almost like a, an adult magazine. It's, it's there and it's, it's available but you need to, you need to uh, uh, be either a certain age or, or have a certain disposition to access that information. So I'm, I'm not seeing the... Um, I, I can't correlate the criticism and the concerns with the reality, certainly from where myself and my colleagues are standing. Okay, interesting. Who would like to chip in? Yes. Leaping into the brief. Just, just tell... Just Rodney Schwartz, and I'm with Catalyst Fund Management Research, which is a venture capital firm, so I have no stake in this debate. Um, and centuries ago, I was a research analyst, and I looked at the fund management sector, so it's kind of in that capacity that I'm replying. And I guess 
two observations, really, rather than mount a, a whole defense of uh, the various things you said. I guess uh, I have two comments. One is um, this sense that hedge funds sort of make things happen that wouldn't otherwise happen. Uh, this notion that George Soros you know, caused a run on the Bank of England, and uh, all he did was actually uh, lay bare a really stupid government policy. He happened to be the person to benefit from it. But I think hedge funds, by and large, don't make things happen. Uh, they tend to be the sorts of people who seize on opportunities created by others. So I think in the old days, it was just the investment bank trading desks that seized <coughs> on those same opportunities. And that really comes to my second point, <coughs> I mean, hedge funds. What are they really? They're just guys who used to sit at trading desks at investment banks who decided, actually, I don't need to be here. Or maybe, uh, in the case of some of the hedge fund managers, they were uh, fund managers at Mercury and other places. And they said, well, this is really silly. I'm creating a lot of value for this firm, and I want to take that value for myself instead of share it with the firm and, and the shareholders. And that, it seems to be a trend we're seeing in lots of fields. We're seeing it in the sporting industry. Uh, we're seeing it in the movie industry. The movie moguls used to make all the money, and now the movie stars make all the money. Um, I think what we've seen is a net transfer from the people who run investment banks to the people who run trading desks. Isn't that what hedge funds really are? So, and I think I, I support this gentleman's comment. I think transparency has actually increased significantly. Um, again, in the old days, uh, those positions would have been buried in trading desks at investment banks, and we never would have known anything about it. And now, by and large, the hedge funds, to varying degrees, disclose their positions on a very regular basis. So I think the whole point about transparency really reflects a deeper resentment, which is about how rich these people are getting. And that's, that's kind of a, an emotional and political, psychological question. It's just resent. Um, and you get various views on whether these people deserve to earn whatever deserve means, 20, 30, 50, 100, 200 million pounds. But that's, that's a different sort of question. Also, maybe unanswerable. <laughs> exactly. Though I suppose people also think uh, that as Northern Rock is struggling, uh, and as the taxpayer is having to bail it out at enormous costs, that hedge funds are in there making yeah. money out Actually of... Actually losing money, by and large. Taking all the wrong bets. But people don't think that. They think that you that the funds are making money out of misery. Everybody can create a scapegoat. <coughs> hedge funds are a popular scapegoat because they're so rich. But the fact is, the hedge funds didn't cause Northern Rock. No, no, that I didn't say that. Did, and hedge funds have, by and large, lost by their positions in Northern Rock. Mm. David Yarrow on a UK long short hedge fund. The vast majority of hedge funds that were short Northern Rock had their positions uh, closed out for them by the investment banks because the ability to borrow the stock was removed. So, from our perspective, we, we were short uh, over the time of the call on the Bank of England in, in, in September, and when they were five pounds or whatever. Over, over the next two weeks, Citibank, Morgan Stanley, Goldman's basically went around the hedge funds that were short and took the position back off them, other than a very few number of hedge funds who are so powerful that they can turn around to Morgan Stanley and say, if you do that to us, we'll go around the corner to Goldman Sachs. Uh, so I reckon right now there's probably only two hedge fund groups that are still short in any significant way because they're powerful enough. Whereas, as we all know, there's a couple that went the other way. And uh, I think actually that's given the industry more bad publicity than just about anything else of like, in terms of the kind of arrogance, you know, collectively in terms of saying they could take on the British taxpayer um, and the government.
The point, the point that you made about the, the other financial institutions that were classified similarly to way, the way Northern Rock was classified and the losses sustained, well, was that more about hedge funds speculating or a total lack of confidence by investors, pension funds, any investors that held these securities in the system that regulates these organizations? And this got nothing to do with hedge funds. And I think everybody, has, a lot has been written about the manner in which uh, uh, Northern Rock was regulated. Yeah. And, the, and the, the difference is if, if you were holders of Bradford Bingley Alliance and Leicester and Northern Rock and you were worried and you sold them, that would be entirely a responsible natural reaction. But if you were short selling them on the day when the queues were outside the branches or just forming, that, that could certainly be painted as a wholly irresponsible intervention. Am I just making that stuff up? I mean, I don't. I don't. One can use the word irresponsible in that in that context. Can you ever use it in this world? Uh, not, well, if it's permissible, it's not irresponsible. It's it's not irresponsible so far as the the nature of the opportunity exists. If if there was an opportunity to capitalise, and we do, we have chosen to to have a capitalistic model. Um, these opportunities exist, and they are perfectly permissible. And in fact, they um, they bode extremely well for the long-term health of our system. My name is uh, Bernard Petit. I run the hedge fund called Satoris. Indeed, uh, we we'll, we hear very often that uh, short selling might, might be something might be something wrong. Uh, in the U.S., they call it an American sometimes. And uh, actually, the, the optical that was designed after the depression was designed to make uh, short selling uh, less uh, less easy. There's, there's, uh, there's no reason for that. I think the contrary is true. I think short selling is absolutely necessary for the mechanism of price discovery to exist. If short selling was not allowed, maybe the the tech bubble would still be with us today, and, and maybe the, the, the tech market would be four times higher than it, uh, it be where it peaked in 2000. It is absolutely. If you want to have free markets, you need you need to have short sellers uh, as well. Um, so sh short selling is certainly one thing which is generally frowned upon. Another thing is uh, is activism. Um, I contend that it's also a force for good because activism, on mm. balance, makes uh, management uh, accountable, uh, which otherwise they, they would they would be less so. And uh, and what we need to remember at all times is why hedge funds exist. And Kevin said very well hedge funds exist to provide diversification. It's really a dumb way to invest, to just buy shares and, and, and nothing else. If you, you need to be, if you, if you want to, to create a, a better uh, risk return profile, you need to be able to do other things with your money. And these things are things that hedge funds can do. Seems to me you're in real trouble then. Because uh, you think that you're... Um as honest as the day is long and as open as the Sahara Desert and that you'd be even more open if it wasn't for the evil government regulations and that you're really the best thing to slice bread, which is exactly what private equity people told me two, two and a half years ago. And uh, only one of two things would be true. Either what you're saying is not true or it is true and you're useless at getting your case out, which is what's the case for private equity. Who speaks for hedge funds? in the public domain. Nobody spoke for private equity in the public domain, so the case went largely unheard. When Newsnight on the BBC finally worked out what private equity was, it depicted private equity as Dick Turvin. 
And you had a cartoon of Dick Turpin, Stand and Deliver. That was Newsnight finally woke up to private equity. That's what they thought it was. Uh, and I used to sit in discussions with private equity people, and they all said exactly what you said. We, we do the right thing. If it wasn't for us, we'd have to be invented. We're not bad people. We're great people. We help markets. No one agreed with you. Well, be, not because you were necessarily wrong, but because you hadn't got your case out. You thought it went by default. Now, will the hedge fund industry follow private equity and simply keep its head down, hoping that these evil <coughs> journalists, regulators, and politicians will go away? I think what Sandra Large has done has, has absolutely demonstrated <coughs> a willingness to create a very open and voluntary code of practice. And a huge amount of progress has been made. In fact, in speaking with Andrew a couple of weeks ago, he's already spoken to his counterparts in the US, so there's a real joined-up strategy. But he's not spoken to the British people. I, I think, I, I believe... No one's ever heard of him. I, I believe this, it's, it's, to, it's to do with the uh, number of individuals that actually participate and where it actually has an impact uh, on their day-to-day -day business activities. 99% of the British individuals will not have, have, an, have any exposure or true interest uh, in that aspect of how hedge funds actually govern themselves. But the point about who speaks for hedge funds, I think a huge amount of progress has been made. I really do. I mean, uh, the, the, the FT and, and other um, um, publications have, have, right. have written a huge amount about it. Yeah, but nobody reads the FT either. The FT is not your own. You're talking to You're talking to yourself about the, F, the FT. Okay. Uh, what I'm talking about is the wider political system in which you do not have a dog in this fight. I don't, I don't necessarily agree, agree with you there, Judy, in some ways. I'm a partner of Harmonic Capital Partners, which is a, which is a hedge fund. I mean, f first of all, I think these debates are not, not new. I used to be at Schroeder's before I was at a hedge fund, and the debates used to go around traditional asset managers and corporate and social responsibility, <coughs> and you were investing in shares to make mo money for your clients, but you weren't taking an opinion on how they were running themselves almost as a moral entity because your job was to... You had a fiduciary responsibility to make money for your clients, and your clients were often pension funds who paid pensions to people. And there was that debate then, and I think uh, fund managers learned from that, and they've been much more open about corporate and social responsibility and how that builds in. But at the end of the day, you've got to make money for your clients. Uh, then you have uh, private equity, and now you've, you've got hedge funds. And I think it's fair to say that the hedge fund industry is beginning to, and perhaps only beginning to learn, from the arrogance and the mistake that the private equity world made a, a year or two ago where they didn't explain themselves and felt they had the right uh, 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 to be secret. So the Sir Andrew Large initiative is, is a good initiative. Yes, it hasn't filtered through to the press. Why? Because a lot of what it was, a lot of what it's saying is nitty-gritty transparency that the that journalists today will find boring until an issue arises and that nitty-gritty transparency will help journalists do their job. So actually those initiatives will filter through to the press but they'll filter through to the press I think on a case-by-case -case study. I think the other catalyst for change in the hedge fund world as well is that hedge funds used to, uh, used to be secretive, perhaps still are to an extent for various reasons, regulatory reasons. They started out of the high net worth uh, uh, world where people wanted to, to keep uh, uh, private. A lot of their systems are proprietary and if they're very public about them people can go out there and copy them. These are some of the best brains in investment management. All these reasons make them secretive. But the same thing is happening to them as happened to other organisations. Our investor base is changing to being public institutions pension funds, people in the public arena. So for that reason alone, hedge funds are under pressure to explain themselves to the outside world. It may be early days, but I think they're starting to do that. And I, and I have to say, 
I think you do yourself down, actually, in terms of journalists understanding hedge funds, because in my experience, the journalists who write in city pages, not just for the Financial Times, actually, but the Guardian, the Times, there's a lot of journalists out there who really do get hedge funds and do understand it and don't write about it in terms of who's earned the most money last year and paid the smallest or largest tax bill. So I think, actually, there is a lot of knowledge out there about hedge funds in the arena, and there's some very responsible articles which are written. But I, I, mean, I think the, pro the, pro the problem really is not that specialists understand this. The real problem is the public's perception. The public's perception, the public still hates speculators. And they, you know, the entire sort of concept of being a speculator sort of um, brings up all these connotations and so on. But I think I don't think you're particularly <coughs> open yet. I mean, it's virtually impossible to, to provide, a, to, to create a table, for example, listing the top 20 or top 30 best hedge funds. It's very easy to do that with long-only funds and so on. I understand there's a whole bunch of reasons for that, of course, and so on and so forth. But still, the information is just not available. Again, you know, one keep going, you know, people here are slightly different because you've come to, to a meeting like this. Mm. But when I go to see hedge fund managers and so on, they, they won't tell me what their returns are, they won't tell me anything. You know, they refuse to be interviewed, they refuse to be quoted on the record, everything is underground, basically. Which, again, I understand why, from the perspective of the hedge funds, you've got clients, they don't want, you know, it's privacy and all that sort of stuff. But the point is, there's just no information and no openness. And I think, I think, but I think there's a few other points that can be made, slightly broader point, which is, yes, hedge funds on average are quite good, but they're actually not even that good. I mean, I think last last year, just talking <coughs> roughly, um, the average return on on the MSCI stock market is about, let's say, ten percent. The average return on hedge funds is about twelve or thirteen percent. So you're saying all that for two, three percent more massive risk, um, you know, and huge fees and so on and so forth. So I'm not even, you know. So I think that there's broader arguments to be made here that, um, that you know, some hedge funds are very, very good, of course. Yeah. But the, you know, the industry on average is only slightly better than non-only funds. Can I just come back to you on that? I mean, one of the things is the reason why hedge funds often won't talk about performance is they are very nervous from a regulatory perspective because if you're seen to be marketing your funds to retail investors who are the individuals, you get into a lot of uh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you can have a private conversation with someone, <coughs> I mean, you know, off the record, even they still won't tell you what the returns are. They well, say things like, oh, it's between 5 and 25 percent, yes, thank you. Yeah, well, I'm, I mean, perhaps you're talking to the wrong hedge funds because uh, I've had <coughs> conversations. So, so there are people who will, will talk about well, it. Some but people it, will, but, yes. it, but it will be off the record because of the sensitivity from a, a, a regulatory perspective. The, the other thing is hedge funds don't always get it right. I mean, people make markets. You know, if hedge funds are, are taking positions on one side, somebody's taking a position on another side, and hedge funds don't always get it right. But, you know, the high returns that hedge fund managers make for themselves, there's a downside to that, which is hedge funds go out of business if they don't get it right. And 10 to 15% of hedge funds go out of business every year because they get it wrong. And you don't, you don't read about those, but in actual fact, there's a high failure rate within hedge funds, and that's the penalty you pay for the money you can earn out of running hedge funds. And the third thing I would say is, in terms of league tables, there are plenty of specialist press out there who have their league tables. I could, I'm not going to name it on, on, on record, but there's a magazine which is widely distributed yeah. in financial circles which has all the league tables, all the sizes of managers, and all their strategies, and it wouldn't take... I mean, it's not all, though. It has some, but... No, no but, 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 but it, it's, well, it's, it's, it's reasonably... Thank you, thank you. Now you've mentioned it's your hedge, invest hedge. It's that stable, and there are lots of other surveys as well. So it is actually quite easy. Yeah, to but get most into. surveys are sort of anonymous and so on. I mean, you, you know, you don't have. Pro yeah, you can easily get full lists of every single fund, traditional fund. Okay, um, can I just correct you there for a second? When when Eurohedge started, the gentleman that operated that magazine was called Ian Jenkins. Came to my firm because we collect data on hedge funds, and we gave him the data. 
for free. We didn't charge him. He's a good guy. I thought the industry could do with some good quality data. And we gave him information on thousands of hedge funds. European hedge funds, Asian hedge funds, and US hedge funds. And we gave him track records, crunched the statistics, and when he had various awards dinners, we helped him determine which funds might be uh, suitable for winning performance awards. So in terms of performance data, it's available. I think, uh, I think uh, uh, Euromoney bought his publication. If you want to subscribe, it costs you a few thousand pounds a year. So, you know, some of it's, I mean, look, some of it's available, a lot of it isn't. I mean, that's just, that's just that. A lot of it is. I'd say most of it is more available than it isn't available. In oh. fact, uh, you'd be hard pushed to find any European hedge fund that's not listed in that publication. Okay. Uh, David Rigg, um, I'm in the communications business. Uh, I'm rather inclined to agree with what Andrew was saying earlier in that um, in listening to this discussion, I mean, uh, if hedge funds only had to live in a world where technical financial people were the inhabitants and the only audience that they had to deal with were technical financial people, whether they were technical financial journalists or technical financial regulators or technical financial anything, then, um, you know, maybe the problem is not so great. But the fact of the matter is, in my opinion, that hedge funds are out in the public domain. The, the genie is long out since out of the bottle. And therefore, hedge, the, the, this phrase hedge funds is used on a daily basis by people who have no idea what it means, but have a very clear opinion of what it stands for. And this is, a, is about as bad as it gets in communications terms, frankly, for anybody. I mean, regardless of what they do. And um, I think one thing that the hedge fund industry needs to guard against is what is likely to be the next step in the process when any organization or group of organizations finds itself in this sort of position. And what will happen next is that hedge funds will develop a sort of bunker mentality. And they'll say, well, the whole world is against us and nobody wants to listen to us and people are deliberately distorting what we're saying. And every time we give them more information, they just use it against us. So then the bunker mentality starts. Now, when that happens, hedge funds are in serious, serious trouble because they become a political football and people will start changing the rules mm. under which they operate and they won't have any say in the change of those rules, and there'll be a big problem. So, as a communications guy, I have to say, I think this industry has got some very, very tough communications challenges. Yes. Peter Vickers, Treasury Select Committee. Thank you. Um, Private Secretary of Hedge Funds, Apples and Pears. So, yeah. good title, good argumentative area. Hedge fund managers are, of course, chances and bottom feeders. Good point being made. It's exactly what's been happening all the time in the city. It's the world I come from. I was formerly a banker. And everyone is, you know, the sharp, bright people are always trying to find investment opportunities. What has happened, of course, is that globalization and improved technology have enabled individuals with larger amounts of money to move faster than has happened before. And whilst it would be completely wrong to take a sledgehammer to the hedge funds, the fact is there are some practices, like shorting, which really cannot be allowed to continue. I mean, if hedge funds come together and do bring down a large, reputable company by shorting, that's going to be a major scandal, and we should have anticipated it. So there are some problems here to be dealt with. There are specific problems rather than problems with the hedge fund industry. How uh, much are they in the political frame, hedge funds? Um, 
I, I think you're right to identify the fact that people were slow to wake up to what private equity was up to. Uh, private equity, of course, masters of the universe, quite easy to focus a television camera on an individual walking down the street. He made 250 million pounds last week. Uh, hedge fund managers, a rather more diverse operation. Right. But I think the focus will swing on to them, yes. John McFall, where's John? John, yeah. Yeah. John where are you? Yeah. In the back stalls. Um, our argument. How do you see the political? What mood is the political system in at the moment about hedge funds? Well, the Treasury Committee actually has undertaken an inquiry into transparency of financial products. Uh, we've started off with private equity. We're moving on to hedge funds, and we're looking at inside of dealing, and that will take place over the year. So, Sir Andrew Large most likely will be in contact with us on that. Let me just give an example of the private equity industry. The private equity industry burst on the public scene with the highly leveraged buyers, with the bids for Sainsbury's, which didn't go anywhere but Boots. Household names. Household names, and they came in to the public domain. And they were ill-prepared for that. Uh, when the Treasury Committee announced its inquiry, uh, various conversations took place with different people and Sir David Walker was appointed to establish a working party on it. And it was a result just of the Treasury Committee announcing that. Now, the hedge fund industry has established a working party under St. Andrew Large, as has been mentioned earlier. And I think it's trying to head off maybe what happened to the private equity industry. And I agree with the commentator there. It's a communication problem. And uh, the response you do get from people is, well, you know, we are doing nothing wrong. What are silly politicians doing? They're interfering with our business. But then when you try to explain to them, this is an everyday issue affecting everyday people who are involved, then they've got to come up with an answer. And there are actually people in the private community coming into my office quite regularly talking to me about how they want to take forward the BBCA proposals. But Andrew, I've just got a couple of comments sure. on Andrew Murray's report. For example, Sir Andrew is establishing a hedge fund standards board which will monitor the implementation of best practice. But it will have no power to intervene if the standards are not followed. So it makes it even weaker than the BBCA would be under the Walker proposals. The body will not even assess firms which are complying with the standards and those which aren't. And the firms will self-certify that they're complying with the standards. Now, the best practice standards are purposefully vague. And this is an issue from communication as well. Because let me give you an example from Sir Andrew's report. A hedge fund manager should do what is reasonably, it reasonably can, to enable and encourage the fund governing body to include an appropriate level of disclosure, taking into account the identity and sophistication of potential investors, and explanation in the fund's offering documents of the fund's investment policy, stroke strategy, and associated risks. What does that mean? That means that this will be the hedge fund managers and governing bodies to decide on a level of disclosure as they see fit. And where is the danger in all this? Well, the danger, I think, was highlighted by Tom Brown, the head of the hedge fund advisory service at KPMG, when he said, whilst Sir Andrew's report might work, it only takes <coughs> one bad apple to spoil the whole thing. And if someone self-certifies to say that they've been complying and it turns out they have, <coughs> and it all goes pear-shaped, it will damage the whole reputation of the standards. So I think 
that in terms of communicating the message, the industry is still in a knife edge on Sounds, John, almost as toothless as the Press Complaints Commission. Uh, John Thurzo, MP for one of the most beautiful constituencies in the country. Thank you, Andy. And a junior foot soldier in John McFall's mighty army. Um, it, uh, there's a tremendous sense of deja vu listening to this uh, discussion with the dis uh, contacts with people in private equity. Uh, so the thing that I, first thing that I would say to anybody in hedge funds, if you think it's not coming, uh, it obviously is. If you look at private equity, what triggered it was, first of all, the rise in scale, uh, and therefore the consequent rise in impact, and thirdly, the fact that the unions decided to act as a catalyst. Uh, and that's what brought the whole thing flooding into the public domain. But it was, a, uh, in many ways, a bubble that was uh, waiting to happen. Personally, I don't believe hedge funds are either good or bad in the same way I don't believe private equity is either good or bad. Properly run, they do a good job. Badly run, there are great risks. The need for transparency, I think, is, is huge because those of us who have some understanding of what you do um, uh, understand the good sides and understand the potential risks. But the vast bulk of the public have not the slightest knowledge of what you do and it is very easy as we saw with private equity to take the tag masters of the universe and tell everybody they're getting paying less tax on 250 million than they're cleaner and you've got an image that will not go away for decades but the reason why we in politics should and will be interested is that we are interested one instability in the system overall and there is a clear problem of where risk is generally, and that is now very high up the agenda. And secondly, we're interested in fairness, uh, 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 a concept not perhaps always seen in the city, but it is one that interests us. So those are the two reasons why there are a public uh, uh, reason for us to have a look. And I think the gentleman over there, it, for me, slightly summed up why it is we'll, we will look at you, which is that you said, if it is permissible, it is not irresponsible. Therefore, it's up to us to decide what is permissible and therefore define uh, what is responsible. And that is why we will come in. The lesson that I would suggest to you, which private equity has learned slightly belatedly, is one, there was no research on private equity. There was nothing actually to prove the points they were making. And when you're sitting in front of our committee and you're just saying tis, and we're saying tisn't, <laughs> uh, you will find yourself looking very, very uh, exposed. So one is, which the private equity industry are now doing, get research done, get it independently done, have facts, because facts actually uh, do work. And the second thing is, you saw what happened, you need to be prepared for it, you need to line up your communication, and you need to start now uh, to be uh, ahead of the game. So I would suggest that you have an opportunity, which is to observe and learn from what happened to private equity, and, and uh, understand that I have nothing, none of us on the committee have anything against private equity, we want it to flourish. We want you to flourish, but we want you to do it in a responsible and stable way that is acceptable to the public at large. Thank you, John. Mrs. M? Um, I am right the Mrs. Molly Penny column for the newspaper that Andrew thinks no one reads. And, um, well, my point was that <laughs> no one in the, in the outside debate, of course everyone in the financial world reads it, but in a sense they're talking to themselves about that. 
Don't well, take it personally. I won't take it personally. I, I talk to about a million people every weekend. And the, um, you are I, taking it personally. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, what I feel, uh, we've had some discussion here about what is responsible and what is not, and and about short selling and that um, the comment over there that uh, people can get together to do short sell and bring down something. Um, short selling is very small part. I mean, I'm the hedge fund manager sitting around the world, around the room, and you mentioned the fact that um, you know stock was taken back. If you look at how much, if you look at global custodians and see how much stock is actually lent, it's a fraction of the trades that go through prime brokerages. So first of all, you know, short selling is, is, is just blamed by everybody who doesn't know what it is and doesn't know what the volume is, and the volume is minute. Um, and the second thing is, it is no more irresponsible for William de Winter at Lansdowne to short sell Northern Rock when Adam Amgard has chosen a very dodgy business model, and William has told him consistently that's a very dodgy business model, and he still pursues it, um, than it is for the person in the queue taking their money out. Should we say to that person, we're behaving very irresponsibly, if you take your money out of the bank, it will go down the tubes, or do we say to William de Winton, if you short that stock, it will go down the tubes? It's no different. Adam Amgard made a mistake. He created an opportunity for people, and those people took it. And you know what? Lots of people take opportunities. It's cheaper to buy an iPod in New York than it is in London. You know, am I irresponsibly not supporting British retailers by buying my iPod in New York? It's just an opportunity for arbitrage. And this but is you, just you, another You clearly could cost. be irresponsible if, uh, when all that's happening, you say, well, which other bank could we put in play? Alliance and Leicester, let's short then, sell that one, send the share price that, down. They're not, Money none to of be them. Made. Do you know how many hedge funds there are? None of them. Even William on his own, none of them have... have have got the ability to do that, even if they acted in concert. It's just not big enough. But Peter Vickers, would you like to come back on that? <coughs> yes, the implication is that market forces can take account of any opportunity that is within the market. I have to say, as someone who regards to have the right-wing conservative, I don't believe that's the case. I think further regulation is needed in some areas. And market forces simply cannot cope with the ability of globalised, uh, high-powered, private equity, equity-geared uh, capital to take advantage of market opportunities. We need to be more vigilant, in my opinion. It's, it's a very small, short-selling is such a small part of what they did. <coughs> Would you not agree? I, I do. Uh, on, on Friday, uh, you might have seen that, well, everyone, of course, saw what happened with regard to uh, Microsoft and uh, Yahoo. Uh, Yahoo had results the previous day, and there was a, lot, there was a reasonably big short base being built up in, in Yahoo. If you were short that stock, the following morning you were 54% the wrong way on your trade. So when people are talking about short, I, I totally subscribe to, to what you say. There, we forget the trades that go wrong. It's a very dangerous thing to do to short stock because there's no limit to your downside. When you go long a share, there's a limit to your downside. Well, when, the, the political concern, David, would be not when the trades go wrong, because you just have to take it in your pocket. The concern would be if there's a concert party gets together, it's essentially to short sell an institution and in the process do it down. That has political implications. Yeah. And that would be illegal. Yeah. That doesn't yeah. happen in the history of the world. I don't think it can be done. I mean, hedge funds do not hunt in packs. I mean, in fact... Hedge funds suggesting that you, the FSA has clear rules to stop exactly. Occasionally, hedge funds might get together as a syndicate, particularly when it's an activist, and they, they need to get shares, and, and it it's a very health, creates a very healthy effervescence to get a company back on the right tracks. In fact, there's a report from the OECD that said hedge funds generally 
are good for companies. Uh, and that was an OECD report. Um, but the, 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 just the general point about hedge funds working together to undermine the stability of the financial system or large uh, institutions, I don't actually believe that has ever happened. And uh, I can't conceive why it would happen. In fact, hedge funds compete very vigorously against one another. Okay, if, if it's never happened, why do we need regulations to stop it? What I'm hearing is, come on guys, it's market forces, let us get on with it. And I don't think that's the end of the story. I think that uh, the Treasury's Select Committee will be looking at this very carefully over the next year, and I really do think that there'll be more to it than that. I think there will be some limits and controls further to the existing ones which need to be set. But he's saying not only does it never happen, it's illegal for it to happen. So why do we need more rules? Well, let's, let's look at this. I can't answer the question. All right. Yes. Yeah, just coming back slightly. I mean, hedge funds are not the root of all evil, <coughs> and they're also not the best thing since sliced bread. I mean, that's a very colorful way of putting it. But my observation is that the same spectrum exists among hedge fund managers as among journalists, as among politicians. There are good and bad in, in all of them. I think, I think it's clear that there will be a greater need for transparency, and I think there's some responsible things happening in the hedge fund industry with the large committee, etc. Um, and, and I think we'll see progress that everybody around here would broadly support. But I do think underlying it, I'm feeling a slightly dishonest argument, which I want to bring to the surface. The argument that somehow you guys need to speak for yourselves. You, you know, why aren't you out there putting the case forward? I think they're working through channels to do that, but I think we're being dishonest to think that that's a battle that they can win with the Sun Reader. I think that uh, Damon Buffini, who did actually put his face finally forward, got his face punched in. And I thought he was an idiot for actually surfacing. I thought he should have just kept a low profile and worked more quietly through the scenes. Uh, Paul Marshall, who many of you know, who is an incredibly decent guy, I thought he was in danger of actually getting a higher profile in this. And I think for his own sake, um, he actually kind of hit a bit. I think no hedge fund manager can win a high-profile battle justifying what the hedge fund industry does because they'll be taken to bits by um, the, the punter <laughs> because of how much money they make. You can fund a think tank, you can fund sports people. That's and they're doing those things yeah, but in they're a not quiet way. Exactly, far too quiet, that's the problem. I disagree with you. Okay. Uh, you mentioned Damon Buffini, um, and I thought when he came before us, he actually put up a very good performance. And it was the moment when our committee, having been rather disgusted, to be quite honest, by the performance of the chairman of the uh, BBCA and the chief executive when they, they came in front of us, were really arrogant and ignorant in equal measures. Uh, Damon actually did rather a good job and started the process of turning the debate uh, in and focusing on some of the positives. Furthermore, I know of quite a number of members of the committee who have gone and met with him and others subsequently, and we have increased our body of knowledge, because we're not in this game to have you. We're in this game to ensure that you get to operate in a way that is positive for you, but positive for the system as a whole. And the, the point really is, the reason that Damon and the others were taken apart by the sun and you may or may not wonder whether that's a rele particularly relevant, but it was because they were caught behind the curve. Now, if you get in front of the curve 
and create the message in advance. This is what communication is all about. If you create the message in advance uh, and you actually have your ducks lined up and you have your details as to what you do that's positive, then you will find it much easier to deal with the inevitable negatives and to have those seen in a contextual light. But if you do what you're doing, you describe it as the bunker mentality, it's absolutely it. And believe you me, we've got bunker busters. Just, just to be clear, I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm not a hedge fund manager, so I'm speaking actually not ju just sort of as an outside observer. I think, I have no doubt, Damon is a very credible, very intelligent individual, and I'm sure he convinced uh, some portion of the select committee about the merits of the industry. But I, I didn't feel like the great PR battle was won by Damon and his efforts. Uh, I also think that uh, the BBCA for years has been publishing reams of research about the good the industry did. I think it, it's, it's, it, uh, it, what happened was it became a, a political issue. Yes, maybe they were caught off the back foot, but it's very dangerous for anybody in either the private equity industry or in the hedge fund industry to actually take a high profile when they're um, making so much money. It's a, it's, you, you guys would tear them to shreds. Okay. Yeah, then I want to hear from Niels Prattley of The Guardian. Thank you. I'm Philip Dunn, also on the Treasury Committee. At a, a, an event this time last week, we had one of your, uh, your uh, peers, Chris Benodi of OD Asset Management, I think one of the first hedge funds to be started in this country, came to the House of Commons and started making the case about what hedge funds are about. I think, it, I'm backing up what John Thurso is saying, I think it is important to <coughs> particularly in light of the, north, the impact of the hedge funds in Northern Rock. This is becoming, an, your, your position in the marketplace is becoming a matter of public interest, whether you like it or not. And if you sit in your bunker and say, we're all very private individuals, we manage our own affairs for our investors and it's our business only, that's all very well if you don't get involved in, in significant bid battles which have much wider public interest. If you do get involved in those, then you've got to be prepared to stand up and defend yourselves. And as we've just seen with private equities, we've just had this discussion, if you, uh, if you leave it too late, you, you are on the back foot. I think what the BBC are now doing in getting themselves organised with their new, I think Simon's in the room, with their new chief executive and the, the work they're doing is, is the right way to go. And I'm pleased to hear that you're, as an industry, starting to look in a similar direction. But you're going to have, in my view, you're going to have to get a little bit out of the closet, start talking to each other a bit more about how you should be positioning yourselves and do it on an industry-wide basis, events like this and others, in order to make sure that as an industry you're not you know, pursued out of the country. We, the last thing we want to see as politicians is this very vibrant part of our financial services industry migrating offshore. We're not trying to do that. We're trying to encourage you, but to try and you know, help you to help yourselves. Thank you for that. Niels, how do you see it? I mean, I, I think Mr. McFall's point about, about the, the bad apple is a good one and, and in the context of the communications planning because I, I, I don't get the impression with the hedge fund industry that they've done any sort of disaster planning whatsoever. I think, it's, it's, uh, I th I think the, uh, uh, the short-selling uh, argument may turn out to be a red herring. I mean, what brings hedge funds off the business pages and onto the front pages might be something else altogether, that uh, it might be another long-term capital management, it might be a case of uh, uh, insider dealing, or it might be a, 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 a perception that at Northern Rock or so on, that the, um, that the hedge funds are, are trying to hold the taxpayer to ransom. Um, but I, don't, I, th I think hedge funds have evolved so fast and do so many different things these days that uh, um, 
the, the chances of, of an accident and a, and a bad apple appearing have increased substantially. And I don't think uh, the hedge industry has sort of appreciated that point because they're going to get tarred with the same brush. Okay, interesting. Simon Walker, chief executive of the BBCA and the new chief executive, I should say. You're not the arrogant one. <laughs> I hope not. What happened to the arrogant one? <laughs> I don't think, you know, I don't disagree with any of the criticism that's been directed at the, at the private equity industry and what, ha what has happened in the past. I mean, I think every, the points have been made are fair. And I think a fundamental point was a lack of recognition that there is a wider accountability to a larger portion of society. And just as Paul Miners put it in his evidence to the Treasury Select Committee, it's just much better business to operate in a climate where you're not feared and suspected by large sections of the community. And that's where the lesson that we learnt very late, but I think we have learnt it, and part of our disclosure regime, which is actually independently monitored and chaired by the chairman of BT, um, is, is a recognition of that, that that wider accountability needs to be there. I do actually think hedge funds have learnt important lessons, and I think the fact of the large committee, Andrew Lodge's committee being set up, is a very good sign, <coughs> but I think um, John McCormick makes good points about some, some of its weaknesses. Um, but I think actually hedge funds aren't going to be as ready a target as we, as we were. One, they don't take over whole companies, and, and that, that's a big difference. Two, their stakes tend to be for some much shorter, more transitory periods. Um, now, having said that, I think they absolutely ought to get, and, and I think their signs are getting their act together. And the other thing I'd say is that there's another great Satan coming along in terms of the popular press, and that's Sovereign Wealth Fund. And you know, several people have said to me, if, we, if you think we don't like private equity, we really don't like Sovereign Wealth Fund. <laughs> and, and, we know, and we know where they live. <laughs> <laughs> we know where they are. We can't wait. Uh, well, I'm going to get you out of here by 9.30. That means we've only got a couple of minutes to go. I know you've all got busy days ahead. So maybe just a couple of final, very quick points from people who haven't had a word yet. Yeah, yes. Paul Dunning from FRM. Um, we're a fund of fund manager. I'll take your point about communication. I think the funk mentality probably did exist two or three years ago. Um, the large uh, initiative is really the first step in what is really, you know, rather a fragmented industry, naturally fragmented industry. You mean it hasn't naturally well, worked together? Well, because there's lots of individuals who sure. come out, a lot of these activities used to exist in banks, that capital has shifted, yeah. and um, so I think now what you're seeing is this is the first attempt to try and improve our communication. The first attempt with all, um, you know, new industries is usually pretty timid, not very successful, takes a while to get going. Um, we happily improve the dialogue uh, with, with John yeah. and uh, others to try and make sure that we get our case across in, in, a, in the most effective way. But you know, I think that's, this is the first step in a, in a process. We recognise that. We're kind of getting together, but it takes, you know, it takes a while in a fragmented new industry. Okay. Just briefly. Yeah. I'm Chris Davison from Camera, so I, I had some experience of what happened last year. <laughs> um, private equity. I, just a, a point on the notion of transparency, because I think people often fall back to transparency as being the solution to a lot of this, that... Transparency can mean lots of things. It can mean 19-page broken notes that are un unintelligible to, to the, the wider community. I think transparency, where it's effective, is also around some form of simplification. 
so that people can understand what it is you're saying. And I think the private equity industry had, had, was transparent, but it wasn't intelligible to lots of people. So I think there needs to be a lot of thought as to how you explain what it is you're doing, not just throwing a huge amount of information out to a, to a wider community. Okay. And a final point? Yes. Uh, yes, Simon Nixon from Breaking Views. Uh, yes, I, I think that the UK politicians need to uh, catch up here. Uh, there, there has been a big backlash against hedge funds. Hedge funds operate in a global world, and, uh, and they've faced an enormous amount of political opposition in Europe um, from Germany. Um, Bernard Opperty was too modest to mention it, but he took on the Dutch establishment last year and won. Um, there's been, so in a sense, the Andrew Large Committee was a big, um, was a reaction to opposition around the rest of Europe. And I think he was actually very clever with what they came up with. Because, I mean, part of the challenge they had was to think what the hell they should disclose and what the actual problems were. I don't think short selling and um, uh, short sort selling and activism, which was what was the source of the political opposition in Europe, was really um, was some, something they could really address. The real issue was one of, um, of systemic risk, of you know what would happen if there was a fraud, if uh, people lost confidence in valuations, if uh, corporate governance was so leaking that there was a major insider dealing or whatever. So I think that what they did was they recognised what the real issues were for hedge funds, which was that one of the that a fund in London, on this patch in this market, would blow up in a way that would cause a major crisis of confidence through the market. I think that they've addressed that. They are addressing it. I think that that's very welcome. But I think that the idea that they're not aware of political opposition in the hedge fund industry, I think, is wrong. I think that we're taking a very UK-centric view. This is a global industry and a global market, and I think that they're addressing the problems. John McFall, I'll give you the Chairman of the Treasury Select Committee the final minute. Andrew, just to back up that point, uh, in the globalised world we're in, I mean, I've had Paul Rasmussen, the European MEP, former Prime Minister of Denmark, who's written a report on hedge funds for the European Parliament into my office, very substantial report, a lot of pressure going on there, uh, along with my committee members who have been at the House at Barney Franks and his House Finance Committee, and they're looking at that. Right. So this is an interest globally, Andrew. And I think if we can take the private equity as an example, Chris has become quite a good friend now. Uh, he comes in and sees us quite regularly. And what the private equity is doing are toughening up the BVCA and getting their act together. And they do realise, back to our friend over there, that communication is the issue and the problem. And if we as politicians can help increase the transparency, as Peter said, and help them get their message across and make Britain a more prosperous place, then it's a win for all of us. All right, thank you for that. Well, it wasn't quite as melodious as Elgar, but uh, I hope editorial intelligence and the business has uh, at least allowed you to have a discussion among yourselves. Our job is to facilitate that, and perhaps it's even made you think, which in these days would be a real bonus. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you.